Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. But before I do that, whether you are listening to it this episode on Apple, Spotify, Podbeam, or any other uh, podcast site, it would be beneficial to me if you could subscribe to the podcast and give it a review when you can because when you do that it allows the algorithms to know that this podcast exists and it allows it to spread this podcast out to the rest of the world that will be greatly appreciated now with that being said let's start off with the show monday night raw raw will open up with bobby lashley in the middle of the ring in his ring gear and he's out here to call out brock lesnar more or less for retaliation for brock lesnar uh basically handing the united states championship to seth rollins last week Brock would come out, and as Brock would make his way towards the ring, Bobby Lashley would meet Brock Lesnar at the ring entrance side, and those two would just start brawling outside of the ring. Brock would be in control of the brawl, and he would have Bobby Lashley on his shoulder at one point, looking at the F5 on the outside of the ring. But Bobby would get off of Brock's shoulder and shove Brock into the ring post, where Brock would hit a nasty hit on the ring post. Then you would see Bobby spear Brock Lesnar through the barricade. Now you have referees, backstage officials, and some wrestlers come out to separate both men. And as Bobby is getting up, they are separating Bobby because Brock is still down. They get Bobby towards the entrance ramp. Bobby would break free from them and run towards Brock and spear him on top of the commentary table. The commentary table does not break at this time. Once both men get up, Bobby would hit Brock Lesnar with a one-handed spine buster, breaking the commentary table. Bobby would be grabbed by everybody and they will move him up the ramp. So Bobby Lashley would basically victimize the beast Brock Lesnar here and show that he is a mortal man the same way that Brock Lesnar brutalized Bobby Lashley last week and showed that Bobby was a mortal man. And it would be announced later in the night that at Crown Jewel, it would be Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley. And again, I think everybody knew this was coming. And this will be their second match of their whole entire career with one another. And it happens in the exact same year. Because if people remember, at the beginning of the year at Royal Rumble, you have Bobby Lashley going against Brock Lesnar. So now we get it towards the end of the year. I like that we're doing this. After this, we would now get our first match of the night. The OC, which is Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows with AJ Styles in their corner going against the Alpha Academy. The OC would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Magic Killer on Chad Gable for the win. After the match, as the OC and AJ Styles will be posing in the middle of the ring, the Judgment Day will come out and they're standing on the entrance stage. Finn would say that he was the one that created a club and he's the one that's basically going to destroy it. Finn would say that the Judgment Day are out here to challenge the club to a six-man uh, match at Crown Jewel. AJ would accept on the club's behalf and say that why don't somebody from the Judgment Day come down here and fight me right now? Or do they have to ask permission from their mother, which they are saying that Rhea Ripley is their mother? Don would step up and tell AJ that if he keeps running his mouth, he will end up just like his father transferring over to another brand with his tail tucked between his legs. AJ will call Dominic a punk for turning on his father, and AJ would challenge Dominic to a match later tonight. Rhea would play up Dominic to accepting the match, and that's what we get. Later in the night, Dominic Mysterio going against AJ Styles. After this situation, we get Seth Rollins coming out here for an in-ring promo. Seth will be out here peacocking about becoming the new United States Champion. 
Seth will then turn his attention onto Matt Riddle because he has to defend the United States Championship in the main event against Matt Riddle. He says that he's going to wipe the floor with Matt Riddle to retain the United States Championship. And then you hear the music of Mustafa Ali. Ali would make his way down to the ring. Ali will congratulate Seth on his win of last week to become the United States Champion, but give some assist to Brock for helping him. Ali would say that he's out here to challenge for the United States Championship because the last champion, Bobby Lashley, said that he was going to give Ali an opportunity to fight for the United States Championship. Seth would tell Ali that that was a different champion. He's a new champion now, so that like offer gets rescinded and Ali has to go to the back of the line because right now his focus is on Riddle. Ali will let Seth know that his challenge still stands and he isn't going anywhere. Seth hearing Ali's challenge, Seth now tries to go and play mind games with Ali right now by saying that he respects Ali. He says that he respects Ali for not just being one of the best sports entertainers in this company, but for being a kind human being. Seth will say that he watched Ali, how he would give advice to the guys in the back, and for being a great father, and this would allow Seth to sucker punch Ali, then throw Ali out of the ring. Now, Seth will leave the ring, have his United States Championship over his shoulder, and Ali would then attack Seth from behind. Now, Ali would get Seth up, and Seth would chop Ali right in the throat, and then throw Ali into the ring post, where Ali takes a nasty bump onto the floor, and Seth would walk away to the back. So, Seth and Ali, you can tell they're brewing something there. They're waiting for Seth's main event match to see if he goes against Riddle, and if he does retain, we might get Ali. We will just have to see by the end of the night. But as you can tell from this interaction right here, you can see that they are brewing something with Seth and Ali. After this situation, we get to our next match of the night. Damage Control, which is Dakota Kai and Io Sky going against Candice LeRae and Bianca Belair. Bailey was on commentary for this matchup. Damage Control would win this match by pinfall when Bailey would leave the commentary table and go underneath the ring and get a kendo stick. Bianca would see this and she would spear Bailey over the commentary table and this would take Bianca out. This would allow Damage Control to hit a double wheelbarrow suplex on Candice LeRae for the win. So Damage Control beats Candice and Bianca Belair. So this is adding more fuel onto the Bailey and Bianca's whole rivalry that they're having. And it will be announced that next week, Bailey will be going one-on-one -on -one with Bianca Belair, but not for the Raw Women's Championship. After this, we would have JBL come down to the ring. And JBL says he has a big announcement that will shake the foundation of Monday Night Raw. JBL will say that a trade was made with Rey Mysterio going over to SmackDown. There was a hole left in Raw for somebody to fill. And he has the perfect guy to fill that hole. And he will call out Baron Corbin. JBL will hype up Corbin to the point to say that Corbin is the modern day wrestling god. So to put that much hype on Baron Corbin... That's cool, because Baron Corbin is a nice guy. He can move around in the ring. He can talk. He's hated by people. He's able to make people actually hate him, which is an art form now, because a lot of people don't like to hate people unless you are completely garbage. But if you're good in the ring, it's hard for people to hate you unless you just start trashing their city and all that type of stuff. But Corbin rarely does that trope of, like, trashing the town. He always, like, trashes his opponents and all that but again, he gets like the legitimate like bad guy booing type of heat, not the go away, you suck, like really suck type of booing. So Corbin having JBL now on his side can just basically uh, hype up more of the boo, you suck, I hate you as a character type of deal that Corbin is getting right now. And that has been getting for a long time. 
and probably could get him up to the main event echelon with JBL as his mouthpiece. Anyway, Corbin would have a match against Dolph Ziggler here. JBL will be on commentary. Baron Corbin would win the match by pinfall by catching the super kick and then connecting with the end of days for the win. So this is now the trail of Baron Corbin trying to get to that upper echelon to the main event status. They're trying that, but I don't know if this is going to work with JBL. I hope it does because JBL being on the screen, JBL talking for Baron Corbin, that's something that Baron Corbin needs. It's not that Baron Corbin can't talk for himself. It's just that having an established bad guy as your mouthpiece, the way that Roman Reigns has Paul Heyman and the way that Brock Lesnar had Paul Heyman, the way that CM Punk had Paul Heyman. Basically, a lot of people had Paul Heyman as their mouthpiece, and it worked the same way that Brock Lesnar, not Brock Lesnar, but um, Bobby Lashley had MVP as his mouthpiece during the COVID 2020 all the way up to this year in 2022 as his mouthpiece. It worked. Baron Corbin is a good talker, but he just needs that extra added ingredient to make him go to that main event spot. And I think JBL right here can do that for him, in my opinion. After this, we have AJ Styles with the OC in his corner going against Dominic Mysterio, who had the Judgment Day in his corner. Dominic would win their match by pinfall thanks to Rhea Ripley. When the referee was outside of the ring making sure Gallows and Anderson do not attack Finn and Damian Priest, Dominic would get in the ring and AJ would be on the ring apron. Rhea would grab AJ's leg, and this would allow Dominic to roll up AJ and get the three. So Dominic has beaten AJ Styles. That's something for the record books here. Dominic beating AJ Styles. I didn't think I would hear that until like some years passed. But with the way that they have Dominic winning here, I have no problem with it because it adds more booing like factor the way that people hate Dominic right now. It only intensifies and heightens Dominic's uh, bad guy-ness in this story that they're having with Dominic. Now, we were supposed to have Dexter Loomis going against The Miz, but that does not happen. When Dexter Loomis was standing on the entrance stage, Miz would hit Dexter in the back with the steel chair, and he would hit him multiple times with the chair before finishing him off with a skull-crushing finale on the chair. Now... Earlier, there will be multiple segments in the night of Miz trying to get out of this match with Dexter. He would say that he slipped on the floor, hurt his knee, but that was all the ruse when Johnny uh, Gargano would say Dexter is coming and you would see the Miz get on high alert and jump on his uh, two feet. So that showed that Miz was basically faking it. So now when it comes down to the match, Miz attacked Dexter from behind and you see that match has happened. We go to the back. Uh, Miz and Johnny Gargano have a talk and you see Johnny Gargano have a whistle around his neck and he says that if Miz does not fess up to the reason why Dexter is coming after him, he's going to blow the whistle on it. So now we have this whole thing of, okay, Miz did something to Dexter Loomis for the reason why Dexter is coming after him and he just doesn't want to explain the reason why Dexter's coming after him. He doesn't want to tell the story. So Johnny Gargano now knows the whole story. And now it seems that Johnny Gargano is going to be the guy to blow the whistle on the whole Dexter Loomis Miz story. I just want them to hurry up with it because right now, all right, we know there's a story now between the two. We need to have that story be expressed and exposed, or hopefully by Monday night, uh, this upcoming next Monday Night Raw episode, we get that. I don't want this thing to linger on so far so far for so long because we still got that added ingredient of Tommaso Ciampa because Ciampa has not been around for some weeks now 
And with the history of Tommaso and Johnny Gargano, you could tell that those two are going to go right back at it the way that they did in NXT with this. So I just hope that next week we get the reason of why Dexter's going after Miz. That's just me hoping. I don't want it to linger on any longer. I give this, like, secret story two weeks tops before somebody exposes it or before, like, the fans really get tired of it. After this, we will have Elias now. Elias is back here on Monday Night Raw. Elias would say that he is glad to be back. He would mention that his younger brother Ezekiel's career was cut short, so they killed off the Ezekiel character. So Elias is now back here full time. Elias would say that he created a special song for the crowd here that comes straight from his heart. But before he can even play a singular note, Riddle will come out here with bongos and he would get in the ring and Elias would take exception to this. But Riddle would tell Elias that he's a big fan of his. Riddle would start a walk with Elias chant and he would even ask Elias if one day he could play with Elias in the middle of the ring like play with him musical style. Elias would say, in front of these people, you have my word that one day we can play together. But for right now, I need you to take a seat so I can play my song in front of all these people. So Riddle would take a seat and Elias would start playing an electric piano. So as Elias is playing the electric piano, Seth Rollins would interrupt this. And Seth Rollins is out here for his main event for the United States Championship matchup with Matt Riddle. So they will have their match. Elias will be at ringside during this match. Seth Rollins would win the match by pinfall when Riddle had the advantage towards the end of the match. Seth would get out of the ring, tell Elias to hit him, but Elias doesn't do it. Seth would superkick Elias, then get back in the ring. Riddle would continue to annihilate Seth Rollins, and as Riddle was setting up and about to hit the RKO, Elias would get in the ring, and Seth would push Riddle into Elias. This would then lead into Seth hitting Riddle with the curb stomp for the win, and then after the match, Elias would also eat a curb stomp for his trouble. Seth would then look at Riddle and wait for him to get up so he can hit him with another curb stomp, but Mustafa Ali would get in the ring and attack Seth. Seth would get out of the ring, and Ali would follow. Ali would run into Seth, and they would fight all over the commentary table. Seth would escape and leave through the crowd. Ali would yell at Seth and tell him that he is now his problem. So again, as it was stated earlier, Seth and Ali are going to fight for the United States Championship. We just don't know when. It probably will be at Crown Jewel because they're building up everything for Crown Jewel at this exact moment. So I can see Seth versus Ali at Crown Jewel for the United States Championship. And I can see those two having a great match because Ali is a great performer. He's been on the sideline for so long. He'll get these pushes and stop and start pushes throughout this whole year, but hopefully with the new regime, Triple H holding like the playbook now, Ali's going to be on TV more, and he's going to actually get his just due, and Seth might do the honors and actually allow Ali to beat him for the United States Championship at Crown Jewel. That'll be a great thing, but maybe we'll, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. We'll have to see. But anyway, that's your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to NXT. NXT will open up with Roxanne Perez going against Rhea Ripley, with the Judgment Day in her corner. Rhea Ripley is here because Cora Jade went to Monday Night Raw and asked Rhea Ripley to be her person to face Roxanne Perez in their Pick Your Poison matches, and Rhea Ripley agreed. Rhea Ripley would win the match by pinfall thanks to a little distraction from Dominic. When Roxanne would run off the ropes, it looked like Dominic was going to grab her legs, but Roxanne would look at Dominic, and this would allow Rhea Ripley to headbutt Roxanne and then hit her with Riptide for the win. Rhea Ripley hasn't been 
in in ring competition for a good couple of months. I think the last time she was actually wrestled was right around June, July ish. So and that was I believe like the fatal four way, fatal five way for the number one contender for the Raw Women's Championship. So this is her match back, like literally in ring match back on television. She probably did live events, but on television, this is her first match back, and she had a good match with Roxanne. Again, Roxanne is showing to everybody that she's ready, and she's on the cusp to be on the main roster. She might not even need to have that NXT Women's Championship run like some of the guys like technically need whenever they're ready, like prime time and like stabilized, and like you could tell, okay, this is the guy, next guy to be up on the main roster whenever they win the NXT Championship. Roxanne just seems like. Okay, you can put it on the main roster, and it would seem so seamlessly. So, Roxanne had a good showing with Ray Ripley here, and this is also just a nice, refreshing uh, face for Ray Ripley to be back in the ring and for her to have a fresh start against somebody new like Roxanne. It was a good look for both women. So, good job for them. After this, we will have stacks with Tony D'Angelo out here. And now we know Tony D'Angelo has a hand-picked opponent to face Stax. Stax is waiting to see who it is. And it turns out to be Shinsuke Nakamura. Nakamura would win the match by pinfall by hitting a Kinshasa for the win. After the match, Tony D'Angelo will go over to Stax and tell him that he is proud of him. He is one of the cornerstones of this family. And that, again, he's just proud of him for what he's done against Shinsuke here. So Stax's uh, reputation in the D'Angelo family has went up. And it was already, like, guaranteed that Shinsuke was going to beat Stax. As soon as you heard Shinsuke's music down in NXT, you knew Stax was going to lose. There was no way Stax was going to beat Shinsuke Nakamura. So, for me, I saw this as a nice refresher course for Shinsuke. Shinsuke hasn't been on WWE television for two months now. And I know last week he was at the Tony Inoki, like, funeral. So, for him to be back and for him to be on television, and I saw it before, like, the match even begun during his entrance in the middle of the ring. He looked up to the sky and he gave it like a little like finger up to the sky. I saw that and I was like, okay, he's giving it up to Antonio Inoki. How nice. He's paying tribute to Inoki. So again, Nakamura being back on WWE television is a nice look, nice feel. And if he goes back to NXT for a little bit, that'll be fine. Cause he can help build up some of the NXT like wrestlers down there. Shinsuke Nakamura versus Carmelo Hayes. Will be a nice match. Shinsuke Nakamura going against uh, Cameron Grimes will be a nice match. And even Shinsuke Nakamura going against a JD McDunnan, that'll be a good match too, because both of those guys like to hit hard. So that'll be a nice one. Or even uh, Ilya Dragunov. I don't want to see Shinsuke versus Braun yet. Braun, not yet. Braun just give him a little bit more seasoning up on before he can get to Shinsuke. But like I said, I already named those people that I want to see Shinsuke going against if he stays at NXT just a little bit longer. Uh, after this, we will have Alba Fire going against Shoni Deville with Gigi Dolan and JC Jane of Tosca Traction in her corner. Alba would get the win by pinfall thanks to Gigi getting in the ring and Alba would grab her. Sonya would try to hit Alba with a pump kick, but Alba would move out of the way and Sonya would hit Gigi Dolan. This would allow Alba to roll up Sonya Deville for the win. After the match, JC Jane would get in the ring and Alba would attack her. And now the numbers would be too much for Alba when all three of the ladies would hound on Alba, beat her up, and then hold her. Mandy Rose music would hit and then Mandy would come out and she would tell Alba that she plans on handling her at Halloween Havoc to retain her NXT Women's Championship. Alba 5 would break free of the ladies and then 
grab her baseball bat, and start attacking all three of them. Mandy would get in the ring and try to attack Alba from behind, but Alba would catch Mandy and put her baseball bat at Mandy's throat, say a couple words to her, and then Mandy would slip out of the ring, leaving her NXT Women's Championship behind in the middle of the ring. Alba would grab it and lift it up in the middle of the ring, so this could show a future of Alba Fire possibly being your next NXT Women's Champion. After this, we had Oro Mensa and Wesley going against Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams. This match technically started backstage with Oro Mensa and Wesley were stretching in the back, and Carmelo and Trick would attack them in their uh, locker room. This would lead into the arena, and we would get to a commercial break, and then when we come back, the match will begin. Melo would win this match for his team by pinfall when he hits nothing but net on Wesley, which is a leg drop from the top rope to the back of Wesley's neck for the win. After the match, Oral Mensa would get in the ring to look at Wes to make sure he's okay. Melo and Trick would attack him. They would try to hit a double team move, but Wes would get up and attack Melo. Wes and Mensa would double clothesline Trick Williams out of the ring and also themselves out of the ring when they do it. Melo would then hit a top cut helo onto the men and then taunt, doing the whole basketball, nothing but net. Von Wagner would appear from nowhere and hit Melo with a big boot because Von Wagner is a part of the North American ladder match at Halloween Havoc. And then you would see Nathan Frazier appear out of nowhere, and he's on the top turnbuckle, and he would hit Von Wagner with a crossbody. So now you have all the men that are in the North American ladder match at Halloween Havoc all laid out, and this is showing you what could, what you possibly could see at Peacock because there's a ladder match. All the men are in there. You know what ladders are capable of. So we'll just have to see what happens at Halloween Havoc with all these men. After this is a six-man tag match. Schism going against Cameron Grimes and the OC. On Monday Night Raw, Cameron Grimes would go to Monday Night Raw and he would go to the OC and ask him will they be there his uh, tag partners, the OC would say that he's the guy that has all the money, right? And they're talking to AJ at this, and AJ says, yeah, he's he has money. And the OC would agree to it because the OC only cares about money. So they agree to it. So now we have OC here on NXT with Cameron Grimes going against the schism. The OC would win the match for their team by hitting a magic killer on James Drake for the win. After this, we have Shotzi Blackheart coming out to announce that she will be hosting this year's Halloween Havoc. She mentioned that she hosted the event in 2020, and she wanted this year's to be more balls to the walls. Zion Quinn would come out, and he would say that he wants to co-host the event with Shotzi. Then you see Quincy Elliott come out and say that he should be the one hosting, well, co-hosting the event with Shotzi instead of Zion. Shotzi would tell them, since they're about to have a match, let's make it for who's going to be her co-host, so that's the stipulation for it. Zion Quincy will have the match. Shotzi will be on commentary. Quincy would win the match by pinfall when Zion would leave the ring and go towards the ring announce area and try to grab something. But Hank Williams, the security guard that beat Zion weeks ago, would stop him from grabbing a weapon. Zion would slide into the ring and Quincy would hit a body splash onto the back of Zion Quinn and then finish him off with a bonsai drop for the win. So Quincy Elliott will be Shotzi Blackheart's co-host for NXT's Halloween Havoc. And after this, we would get Raquel Rodriguez coming out to go against Cora Jade. Raquel Rodriguez is the person that Roxanne Perez would pick to go against Cora Jade. Cora would win her match by disqualification when Cora would have a Kindle stick and strike Raquel, but Raquel would grab the Kindle stick, 
Cora would goat Raquel to hit her with it, and Raquel gives in and hits Cora with the kindle stick, making the referee call for the bell. After the match, Cora would get out of the ring, and as the ring announcer announces her the winner, Roxanne would come from the entrance and attack Cora from behind, and now you have both of the ladies brawling outside of the ring. Cora would get back in the ring, and you would see Raquel stand in front of her. Roxanne would get in the ring and then superkick Cora. Raquel would give Roxanne the kindle stick, and before she could even hit Cora Jade with it, Cora would roll out of the ring and run through the crowd. So you are setting up the whole weapons match between Roxanne and Cora at Halloween Havoc right here. Again, Roxanne, I feel, needs to beat Cora Jade because then it'll be one on one and they can blow off their rivalry in a big style match. But we'll see what happens at uh, Halloween Havoc. Now it's time for the main thing. It is the Kevin Owens show. Kevin Owens is out here to be the mediator between Braun Breaker, JD McDonough, and Ilya Dragunov, the three men that will be in the triple threat match for the NXT Championship. You have KO out here. He's basically saying that JD McDonough is the guy that's been stirring the pot between all three of them, and that he's trying to make Braun Breaker and Ilya basically just fight each other while he comes out and picks the bone between both of them. And you know what? That's a lot of player hating that KO was doing, because Kevin Owens does that a lot in his career. And for him to call that out, I didn't like it personally. I was like, oh, you player hating. JD would say that, listen, he isn't the guy that speared Ilya last week, and he wasn't the guy that put down Braun Breaker with a headbutt last week. So you get Braun Breaker and Ilya going back at it between each other by talking to one another. KO again will slide in and say, listen, you see what JD's doing. He's doing it right now. You guys are playing right into his hands. Ilya would tell JD that, listen, JD and NXT UK, he was nothing but a contender. And over here is not going to be nothing different. He's never going to be champion. He's always going to be a contender. Braun Breaker will look at Ilya and say, you're going to be right in that same category too, because I'm going to retain my NXT championship. So you will see Ilya get up and he would challenge Braun Breaker to a fight right now. You see them like move their stools away from each other. And you see JD just stand off in the corner. And Kevin Owens would say, before you guys see a fight, he let him get out of the ring. And once Kevin Owens does, he says, go ahead and proceed. Then you see Ilya and Braun Breaker just start punching each other and get into a fight. Security would come in and try to break up the two men. You would see Braun Breaker spear one of the men. You see Ilya get a couple of security guards out of the ring. And you would see Ilya hit Braun Breaker with a torpedo headbutt. Then you will see JD come out from the corner and try to grab Ilya and hit him with the devil within, but Ilya would hit him with a headbutt. So now this would knock JD down. And you see Ilya pick up the NXT championship. He holds it up in the air, posing with it. And then Austin Theory's music would hit. And Austin Theory comes out and he just stands at the entrance and just looks at Ilya as he's holding up the NXT championship. And you see Austin holds up the money in the bank briefcase and i'm saying it right now that is nasty i didn't like that i didn't at all why on god's green would any money in the bank winner want to go to nxt and cash in for the nxt championship it makes no sense to me at all i understand that you're the money in the bank winner right now you don't want to cash it in because roman reigns has his family the bloodline with them and you don't know when is the best time for you to cash it in guess what that's what the money in the bank is for you have had people hold on to that money in the bank contract for a long period of time. 
Seth Rollins is one of them. Dolph Ziggler is another one of them. You've had multiple people hold on to the briefcase until they pick the right moments to cash it in. Austin Theory just has to do that. And I don't like the idea that he could come over to NXT and cash it in and then win the NXT championship. I don't like it. It just doesn't make sense. The Money in the Bank briefcase is literally used for the top heavyweight championships. And the NXT championship is a nice belt, but no. No. Don't have Austin Theory cash in that Money in the Bank contract for the NXT championship. Don't do it. It just won't make sense. If you don't want Austin Theory to have the freaking briefcase, you can easily take it off of him by having him lose it to somebody else. It's not like we haven't had it before. Back in some years ago, Edge beat Mr. Kennedy to win the Money in the Bank contract. Shoot, in 2020, we had Otis losing the Money in the Bank contract to The Miz. So it ain't like we can't do it. If you don't want Austin Theory to have that Money in the Bank briefcase, just have him lose it to somebody else that you want to actually hold the Money in the Bank briefcase. That's all I'm saying. If you're going to have him hold on to the Money in the Bank briefcase, do not allow him to cash in on the NXT Championship. Do not. That is nasty. That is stupid. Don't do it. But anyway, that is your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to AEW Dynamite. Dynamite is on a Tuesday this week. Um, They did not have it on a Wednesday. This was their special edition of Dynamite, I believe, because they didn't want to go against the NBA. So they switched over to Tuesday. I believe that's my belief to it. So that's just where I'm going with this here. Anyway, first match of the night would be the Trios Championship matchup. Death Triangle defending their championships against the Best Friends and Orange Cassidy. Death Triangle would win the match and retain their championships by pinfall when Phoenix would hit Trent Beretta with a Fire Thunder driver for the win. There was a moment in the match where Pac got and grabbed the hammer uh, from the Timeskeeper area and Phoenix would take the hammer away from Pac and then you would see those two men arguing with each other. And after the match, you would see... Pac not want to shake Phoenix's hands or like have his hand be like rose and raised up in the air by Phoenix. You could just tell the disdain between Phoenix and Pac. I mean, they would figure it out because you would see them like dap up with each other and hug up. But you can start seeing the splits right there because Pac wanted to use a hammer and Phoenix did not want him to use the hammer. He can he tried to tell Pac that he's better than this. So you could tell that there's going to be some cracks in the foundation of this death triangle here. And for me, I had no problem if Beth friends were going to win the championship here. I don't think they should. And I'm glad that they didn't. I think personally that the death triangle should lose it to the dark order. And especially with the whole hammer deal, which we're doing right now, you could have somebody from the dark order go over to the death triangle or more specifically Phoenix and lobby for another championship matchup. Because Phoenix seems to be the righteous one out of the three guys. And Phoenix can be the one to say that he agrees for that matchup on behalf of his team. And have them lose to the Dark Order. So that's my way of if you want to have that story happen. But Death Triangle should lose the belts to Dark Order when they do do it. After this, we have our AEW Interim Women's Championship matchup between Hikaru Shida and Tony Storm. Tony would retain her championship by pinfall when she would hit the Storm Zero on Sheeta for the win. After the match, Rebel and Jamie Hayter would come in and attack Tony. Britt Baker would make her way to the ring, but so would Soraya. Soraya would attack Britt, and they would get into a fight into the crowd. Riho would make her return 
to AEW, and she would run down to the ring to save Tony by eliminating both Jamie Hayter and Rebel, and she would go up to the top turnbuckle and hit a crossbody on Jamie Hayter outside of the ring. She would get in the ring, lift up Tony to her feet, and you would see them both just hug each other. Riho hasn't been on AEW Dynamite. I haven't seen her, at least in my knowledge, in some time now, and I mean some time, time, like big months, six, seven, eight months, to my last knowledge, or when Rio was down in AEW. But she's still a contracted wrestler, so it was good to see Rio here. She's the first AEW Women's Champion. And also, if they could turn this into a story, I'll just throw this out to them right now. AEW, you guys have a chance for Tony Storm to kind of be like the women's division like killer. The same way that Chris Jericho is doing it with the Ring of Honor Championship. You could do this with Tony Storm. Because Tony Storm has beaten Hukaru Shida. You can have her beat Rio in a friendly competition. You can have her beat Britt Baker and then... Thunder Rosa will be the next. I don't know when Thunder Rosa is going to be eligible to come back from her injury that she has right now, but when she does, you can have that story already be lined up in place. So that's just a free advice or free story for you guys to use. Uh, After this, we go backstage and we'll be with FTR. They'll have a backstage interview. FTR mentions that they hold a lot of gold, which is the AAA tag team titles, the IWGP tag team titles, and the Ring of Honor Championship but they want to hold the AEW championships because they are the number one contenders for them, and they need to hold that championship so they can say they are the greatest tag team in the world and that the year 2022 will not be complete unless they have the AEW World Tag Team Championships. Swerve in our glory would walk up on them, and Swerve would be upset with how now, out of the six to eight months, they have been the number one contenders they now want to challenge for the AEW Tag Team Championships when Swerve and Our Glory have not even gotten a rematch for the championships that they lost. FTR would challenge Swerve and Our Glory to a match next week where the winners are the number one contenders. Keith Lee would accept on his team's behalf and he will walk away. So we have that match set for next week on Dynamite. Now, we would go to the ring and we would have Tony Schiavone standing there with William Regal. And before William could even get a sentence out, MGF would come down to the ring. MGF would stand on the ring apron, and you would see Regal have his brass knucks out. MGF would take off his dynamite diamond ring, put it in his pocket, and tell Regal that he's just here to talk, and tell Regal to put his knuckles away. MGF would tell Regal that he has a story to tell, and it's about the time that he was a WWE extra when he was 19 years old, which is seven years ago. And when he was doing extra work for WWE, he impressed Rio Regal in the ring and that Regal took him out of the ring and had a private chat with him in a private room. And he told MGF to sell him on himself in three minutes, which MGF does. MGF would say that Regal was so impressed that Regal said that he was going to get MGF a contract that exact day. So now we get to our down part of the story. MGF would say that Regal would ask him how old he was. And MGF told him at the time that he was 19 years old. Regal tells MJF that you are too young and that when you get of age, you can email me and I will get you a job because when I put my neck out there, they listen in that when I put my neck out there for certain individuals, they actually get a contract because my name means something. I see something in you. When you become of age, I will personally put my name on you. But until then, I want you to go home. I want you to work your ass off. And every single month, I want you to send me a match and a promo. So I went home, didn't I, Will? And I busted my ass 
Month one, you respond to me, Maxwell. Thank you so much. I look forward to reviewing your progress. Month two, Maxwell. Thank you so much. I look forward to reviewing your progress. Then month three came along, didn't it, Will? Month three came along. When you told me to send you a match and a promo every month, month three comes along, and you send me a promo that I have saved to my phone to this day. You send me a promo, smirk all you want, you son of a bitch. You send me a promo, you send me a promo that I have read every single day since. Let me read it to you here today live. Here's the email you sent me. Max, I'm a very, very busy man. I've got talent from all over the world to watch and I've just had to sit for minutes watching you and you put this in quotations, show me your acting skills. Do not reply to this. But how would this make me say, oh, I know, let's hire Max. Make a name for yourself in the wrestling world and you'll get noticed. That means being a high-level performer when you do, trust me, I'll know. Unfortunately for you, the game has changed. The WWE exclusively hires the best talent in the world to the top world-class athletes. When you're one of them, then maybe send me your stuff. Yours sincerely, William Regal. MGF would tell Regal that he felt suicidal after reading that email those years ago, but he did not want to give up to give people like Regal the satisfaction. So he continued on and became the biggest star. And look where we're at now. Seven years later, he's the biggest star in wrestling and that Regal got fired from his former company. And now that company wants to hire him. So he's going to start the biggest war well bidding war in 2024 because he is a generational talent and also he plans on becoming the aew world champion regal will tell mjf that he wrote him that email those years ago to light a fire mjf regal will talk about his time breaking in at 16 years old fighting grown men and regal will tell mjf that he knew mjf could become a big star and if writing him an email did that mjf had it easy because Regal had to fight grown men to enter into this business to become something. While MGF just basically had an email sent to him. And that's all it took for MGF to try to get better at his craft. Regal would say that he looks at MGF now and he isn't impressed with MGF right now. MGF has gotten to where he is by using people to do his dirty work. Putting his hands on Tony Schiavone, a person that's not an in-ring competitor and even using a ring to beat people. Regal would say that he punched people with brass knuckles, not because he had to, it's because he just enjoyed doing it. Regal would turn his back to MGF and tell him that if he wants to become the devil, then do it. MGF would put the ring on his finger, and he would contemplate hitting Regal behind the back, and you could tell it in his face that he wants to hit Regal, but he doesn't, he just stands there. And, and Regal would just look back at MJF and say that he still has a lot to learn. And Regal will leave the ring. So now you leave MJF perplexed here. So now MJF is trying to get the respect of Regal at this point because he wants to have that respect. MJF is nothing but a kid that is trying to get respect from the people that he idolized. Remember, at the beginning of this year, he wanted respect from CM Punk. And he didn't get that. Now, he's trying to look for respect from Ring Regal all these years later. And right now, he hasn't gotten that. So, that's the story that we're going with MGF. And MGF kind of broke it down a little bit last week where he said that he knows he's the villain. 
He knows he has to do things that he did, might not even like doing because he knows that nice guys finish last. So MJF is well aware of himself. And that's the character, that's the model version that we're seeing of MJF now. A self-aware guy that just not want to be a villain, but he knows he has to be one. But he's kind of in this area of, do I do the right thing? Do I not do the right thing anymore? But we'll see as time goes on. Uh, we go to a video of earlier in the evening of Renee Paquette interviewing both Brian Danielson and Yuta. And the main gist of it is that Brian Danielson talks about how he's surprised at Daniel Garcia's actions last week and says that he sees in Daniel Garcia one of the greatest wrestlers out there and he's just so surprised at his actions. Yuta will look at Brian and take exception to Brian saying that Daniel Garcia is one of the greatest wrestlers out there. And he says that he isn't surprised by Daniel Garcia's actions. Yuta would tell Brian that he was using Brian and that he even has Dragon Slayer in his entrance video and that he doesn't understand how Brian didn't see this coming. Yuta mentions that when he joined the Blackpool Combat Club, he spilt blood and that meant a lot to Moxley. That meant a lot to Regal and that meant a lot to Claudio. But apparently that meant nothing to Brian and Yuta would say to Brian, never meet your hero and then leave. So Yuta is in the exact same boat that Daniel Garcia was again. Now, it seems that Yuta might be leaving the Blackpool Combat Club or he just might be giving some distance away from Brian because he looked up to Brian and for his hero to choose somebody else over him, that's pretty hard for Yuta to swallow. So we'll have to see what happens between that story between Yuta and Brian. We might see a match between those two down the line, maybe. After this, we would get the Ring of Honor Championship matchup of Dalton Castle with the boys going against Chris Jericho, who had Jake Hager in his corner. Chris Jericho would retain his championship by pinfall by hitting the Judas Effect on Dalton Castle and covering him for the win. After the match, the Jericho Appreciation Society members would meet Jericho at the entrance stage, and Jericho would get a mic and say that he is continuing to desecrate the ROH legacy by desecrating the ROH championship. He has beaten former champions, he has beaten ring announcers up, and now he's even beaten up some commentators. And everybody's Wondering what he's talking about by this. And you would see 2.0 go over and grab Ian Riccoboni and bring him over to Jericho and hold him so Jericho can hit him with the Ring of Honor Championship. But before he could do that, Jerry Lynn would come from the back and grab the Ring of Honor Championship from Jericho. Jerry would shout at Jericho and Jericho would kick Jerry Lynn in the stomach and then grab him and hit him with a tombstone pile driver on the Ring of Honor Championship. So... This is still continuing. Jericho bringing dishonor and desecrating on the Ring of Honor Championship. And I forgot that Jerry Lynn was a former Ring of Honor champion. But he has been a champion for Ring of Honor. The actual main champion. So I forgot about that. So it makes sense for him to do that. And I don't think we're going to get a in-ring matchup of Jerry Lynn. I just want to know who's going to take up for Jerry Lynn in this space with Jericho for the Ring of Honor Championship right now. Uh, after this, it's time for the main event. AEW World Championship matchup. John Moxley going against Hangman, and Moxley would win the match by ref slash medical stoppage. When Hangman will go to clothesline Mox, but Mox will hit Hangman with a clothesline, and Hangman landed nasty on the mat. Uh, you will see the referee go over to Hangman and check on him, and you would just see him talking to Hangman, and you see the referee call over the medical doctor who's around the ring to come over and check on Hangman. And you would see them both checking on him. And then you would see the referee like declare that the medical doctor will put a stop to the match. So he tells this to Justin Roberts, who's the ring announcer. And Justin Roberts has to announce that the 
medical doctor has put it into the match because Hangman can't continue. And you will see just like everybody's frozen at this moment. So we don't know what's going down. We don't know what's going on with Hangman. Moxley's trying to figure this out a little bit himself here and there. And you will see the camera flash over to the commentators, uh, Excalibur, Taz, and Tony Schiavone as they're at the commentary table. Taz is with a lot of human emotions. He's trying to figure out what's going on with Hangman because he's had neck injuries. He's broke his neck in the middle of the ring in ECW, so he knows how to feel in Hangman's spot, and he's just concerned about Hangman. And you will see Excalibur running down the matches that are set up for Rampage and next week Dynamite to kill time because we still have time left on the air. And you will hear that on commentary, they're talking about how they have a gurney or a stretcher out there and they're getting Hangman on the stretcher so he can be stretched out of the ring. And once they get Hangman out of the ring, you see Moxley get a mic and he says that since we have a whole lot of airtime out here, I'm going to call out MGF to see if he has anything that he wants to do right now. So he calls out MGF. MJ will come out with his chip and he has a referee with him. So he gets the referee in the ring. He takes off his shirt and you think they were about to have a championship match here, but we don't. MJF slides out of the ring. He hands Regal the chip and then he runs up the commentary table to grab a microphone. MJF will say that he isn't going to cut corners. When he cash in that chip, he wants to make sure Moxley is at 100%, so when he beats him, he doesn't want to hear any excuses from anybody. MJF says that he's going to cash in his championship opportunity at full gear, and that he is going to, for the first time in his life, earn something. So he's talking about earning the championship. So those words from Regal earlier in the night, talking about Regal not being impressed by him because all the dastardly actions that MGF has done and he hasn't earned anything, this is going to be MGF's time to earn Regal's respect and everybody else's by beating Moxley at his 100% at full gear. So that's where we end off with Dynamite. MGF challenging Moxley to full gear for the AEW World Championship. Also, a little bit on the upside of Hangman Page situation. Hangman Page was taken to Cincinnati's hospital. AEW tweeted it out that Hangman was diagnosed with a concussion the following day, Wednesday. And Hangman will also put a tweet out. He tweeted out, hey, thanks everyone for being so nice. I'm doing all right and feeling good today. Had a nice panini for lunch. Thanks to Paul, Medical, Mox, Brandon, BJ, etc. Insert introspective yet merciless quote about unfinished business here so he's making jokes at the end of the tweet but he's letting everybody know that was praying for him that tuesday night whenever he had that nasty bump in the ring that he's fine he's doing okay but for me as a person watching wrestling i think that aew is going to have hangman probably sit out a good couple like months just to make sure he's personally good because that was a scary looking like situation where you really have to cut the match. And I mean like cut it to make sure that a performer was okay and fine when he couldn't even move. So I see AEW going to do what they do with Ricky Starks. When Ricky had his situation, but Ricky's was a next situation. This one was a concussion live on live television. So I see him probably being out for a good month or two before Hangman probably gets back into the ring. But however long AEW needs to keep Hangman out of the ring, I'm cool with that because a human life was in jeopardy that night. So you don't want to ever see nothing happen to another human being, especially when they're just going out there to entertain the people. So I hope Hangman stays okay. He stays good and how AEW run multiple tests on him to make sure he 
is good for the future. But anyway, that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to Impact Wrestling. We start off with Juice Robinson and Chris Bay talking backstage about Ace Austin and Chris Bay's upcoming tag match that's supposed to happen next. And they're wondering where Ace Austin is. Juice thought that Chris had him. Chris thought that Juice had him. So now you see Chris telling Juice that he's going to find Ace. So you see Chris walk away. He goes into the parking lot and yells out for Ace. Then you see Chris see Ace on the floor and he starts yelling for help. Juice Robinson appears and now you see Juice and Chris start yelling for help. Then you see Tommy Dreamer walk up on them saying that they need an ambulance. And Chris would ask Tommy where Bully is because Bully Ray's whole thing now in Impact is that everybody can't trust Bully Ray off of his past actions. And this will lead up to the match that's about to happen next where Chris Bay and Juice Robinson now have to take on both Bully Ray and Tommy Dreamer in the tag match. Bully Ray would win the match for his team by pinfall by hitting the Bully Bomb, which is a sit-out full Nelson slam on Juice Robinson for the win. After the match, Bully would tell Chris Bay that he did not attack Ace Austin. It was not him. Bully would constantly tell Chris Bay that it was not him. And you see towards the end that Chris Bay is still, like, not really trusting a Bully, but he just, like, gives Bully his head nod and says something to Bully, and then he walks away. So, again... The whole story right now is that Bully Ray cannot be trusted. He came back last week, and everybody's still on the whole Bully Ray can't be trusted. Bully Ray can't be trusted. And now with Ace Austin being attacked and Bully's here, everybody's wondering, okay, Bully had to do it. But we don't know that. After this, we would get Mia Yim going against Taylor Wilde. Taylor Wilde would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Wild Ride, which is a bridging German suplex for the win. After the match, Mickey James would come down to the ring, and Mickey would talk to Taylor about how much she respects her because both ladies were climbing the ladder of success at the exact same time at different places. She's referring to whenever Mickey was in WWE and Taylor was in TNA or Impact Wrestling, however you know this company. Uh, Mickey would mention that this is their first time being in the exact same place at the exact same time. So before Mickey could even throw out a challenge to Taylor, Vex and Giselle Shaw would come in the ring and attack both ladies. Now, as the beatdown was happening, Impact Knockouts champion Jordan Grace would come down to the ring to make the save. Vex would leave the ring and leaving Giselle Shaw in the ring with Jordan Grace. Giselle would hit Jordan, but Jordan would just eat that hit. And then you see Giselle just get destroyed by Jordan Grace in the ring. Vex would pull Giselle out of the ring after being destroyed. And it was announced that next week there will be a six-woman tag match of Vex and Giselle Shaw going against the Knockouts champion Jordan Grace. Taylor Wilde, and Mickey James. After this, we will have Jason Hotch going against Joe Hendry. Joe Hendry would win the match by pinfall by hitting a stalling one-hand spine buster for the win. I like Joe Hendry. Joe Hendry is an entertaining wrestler. He's one of the guys that I think that if WWE would have snagged him up, he actually would have worked over there at NXT, especially with NXT being now character-driven. Joe Hendry could have worked. In WWE's format, Joe Hendry works, so if he stays at Impact just a little bit longer and catches the eyes of WWE, I can see Joe Hendry making his way over to WWE soon. Uh, after this, we will have Scott Demore coming out to the ring and calling out Frankie Kazarian, so Frankie could relinquish the X Division Championship in favor of Option C. Again, Option C, for the people that don't know, is for the X Division Champion to challenge for the Impact World Championship. Scott will let Frankie know that if he gives up the championship, there is no going back and that immediately there will be an eight-man tournament for the X Division Championship and the winner will be crowned on November 18th. 
the same night, Frankie will be challenging Josh Alexander for the world championship. Scott would ask Frankie if this is what he wants to do, and Frankie said this is what he wants. So Frankie would hand Scott over the championship and begin to talk about his time in pro wrestling. Frankie would mention that he loves wrestling even though sometimes he feels that wrestling doesn't love him back, but he knows that wrestling doesn't owe him anything. Frankie said that he's okay with it because he has traveled the world multiple times and he has met his wife and they have a son thanks to pro wrestling and he thanks professional wrestling for this. Frankie would mention that his family is proud of him, but he isn't proud of himself because he's never won the big one, which is referring to the world championship. He talks about that he will look at the Impact World Championship roster and see the list of people that has held the championship and some of the people on that list he respects. He names people like AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Kurt Angle, and then he would say that there are people on that list that he knows he's better than. He doesn't name names, but that makes you wonder. And as Frankie would talk, he would see Frankie get attacked by Steve Macklin from behind, and Macklin would put Frankie upside down in the corner and hit a running spear on Frankie Kazarian. Josh Alexander would run to the ring and make the save, and Steve Macklin would leave the ring. We would go backstage. Josh Alexander's talking to Frankie. Frankie tells Josh that he doesn't need help. He's a former multi-tag team champion, and if he ever needed help, he knows he has people to call, so he thanks Josh for that. But again, tells him he does not need help. And before he walks away from Josh, he says, you know what? Since you helped me, I'm going to help you. And he tells Josh Alexander, never, ever trust Bully Ray. So again, we're going back to the whole don't trust Bully Ray thing here because Bully Ray is the man who can at any time of his choosing decide to challenge for the Impact World Championship. So this is trying to keep Josh Alexander on his toes here. We will go back to the parking lot and we will see Eddie Edwards making his way to the arena and his wife Alicia and Honor No More are standing there waiting for him. Alicia will ask Eddie where has he been. Eddie was not at Impact last week. Eddie says that he did um, some thinking about what Alicia told him at Bound for Glory. She mentioned that it's either her or Honor No More. And Eddie told them that he's going to make his decision tonight and they're going to find out later. So after this, we will go to Eric Young going against Rich Swan. Eric Young had Diener in his corner. Rich Swan would win the match by pinfall by reversing a pile driver into a cradle pin for the win. After the match, Rich would leave the ring and then he would be grabbed up by a guy in a yellow hoodie and the guy would hold Rich so Diener could punch Rich in the face. Diener would tell the guy in the yellow hoodie to run away. This is one of Eric Young's followers. Diener would then throw Rich back into the ring and now you would see Eric stomp on Rich and Diener would join in. Eric and Diener would look to hit a spike pile driver on Rich Swan, but the lights would go out and once they pop back on, Sammy Callahan is in the ring and he's staring at both Eric Young and Diener. Sammy would chase both Eric and Diener out of the ring. So Sammy has a beef with Eric Young and Diener at this moment. And we'll probably will see it going and continuing more down the line into the future of Impact in these next couple weeks or even these next couple months if they want to like really drag this out here. Now it's time for the main event. Impact Tag Team Championship matchup here. Rhino and Heath going against Matt Taven and Mike Bennett with Maria Kanellis in their corner. Rhino and Heath are your new Impact Tag Team Champions when Kenny King and Vincent would come down to the ring and try to interfere, but the referee would leave the ring and stop them. While this went on, Maria Kanellis would get in the ring and try to throw powder into the face of Rhino because Mike was holding him, and Rhino would move out of the way, so Maria would, by accident, throw powder into Mike Bennett's face. This would allow Heath to hit Mike with the blackout, Matt Taven would hit Heath with a sidekick, 
And then you will see Rhino spear Maria. Again, he did not mean to spear Maria on purpose. He looked to hit Matt Taven with it, but Matt Taven would move out of the way, and so Rhino would spear Maria. Taven would look at what just happened, and he's just mortified at this, and this would allow Heath to hit Taven with the blackout, and then you would see Heath cover Taven, and the referee would get back in the ring, make the three, so Rhino and Heath are your new Impact Tag Team Champions. After the match, Eddie Edwards would come down to the ring, and now he's making his decision, whether it's his wife or honor no more. Eddie would say that he's been wondering, is honor no more worth saving? Eddie would go to each member and ridicule them before asking them, are they with honor no more? Each member would say yes until it got to PCO. When it got to PCO, Eddie would blame PCO for him losing the Impact World Championship matchup at Bound for Glory because Eddie would say that he was worried about PCO's crap all this time. So when he got to PCO and he said all this and he asked PCO, is he with Honor No More? PCO would hesitate and Eddie said that's all he needed to see out of PCO. So before Eddie could say that he's going to kick PCO out, you would see Vincent put a black bag over PCO's head. And Eddie would say that PCO isn't a monster, he's a B. So PCO would hear that, he rips the black bag, and he just basically attacks Eddie Edwards. He clotheslined Eddie, and now you see all the members of Honor No More looking, and you see Vincent just trying to tell PCO to calm down, but PCO just doesn't calm down. He ends up attacking everyone. He attacks Mike Bennett, he attacks Matt Taven, he attacks Kenny King, and he even attacks Vincent. So, as he's attacking everybody, Kenny King would get out of the ring. Eddie Edwards would already be out of the ring. And now you have Vincent, Matt Taven, and Mike Bennett. Taven and Bennett would try to hit a double super kick on PCO, but PCO just eats that. Then he hits both of them with a double clothesline. Vincent would come in the ring with a steel chair, and he would hit PCO in the back with it. PCO would eat that, and then you see PCO beat up on Vincent. PCO would take the chair, set it up in the middle of the ring, Chokeslam Vincent on the chair, destroying it, and that's how Impact's ends, with PCO standing on top of now Honor No More. So that's your Impact Wrestling Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with a one-on-one contest between Sheamus and Solo Sokoa. Sheamus will have the Brawling Bruce in his corner. Solo will have the Usos and Sami Zayn in his corner. Sami would play a part in Solo's victory when the Usos would take care of Ridge and Butch by putting them under the commentary table, and Sheamus would then hit the Usos with a double clothesline. Sheamus would try to get back in the ring, but Sammy would hold on to Sheamus' leg. Sheamus would kick Sammy, and Sheamus would get on the ring apron, and as he's going through the middle ropes, Solo would kick Sheamus in his bad arm, and then grab Sheamus and hit him with the spinning Solo for the win. Now, after the match, Solo, the Usos, and Sami Zayn would attack Sheamus. They would attack him in the ring, throw him out of the ring, and continue to beat him up. They would then go over to get some steel chairs, two to be specific. You will see Jimmy put Sheamus's arm inside of one of the chairs and place it on top of the steel steps. Solo Sokoa and Sammy would hold Sheamus as Jay would beat on Sheamus's arm with the other chair. He would hit Sheamus's arm probably like five or six times, and then Sammy would have to stop Jay because they have accomplished their mission. And then you will see them all throw the ones up in the air. So they have basically taken out Sheamus here. Later on in the night, we would go backstage. We would see the bloodline without Roman and without Paul Heyman. And they're backstage. Solo's on taping his arms. You see Sammy and the Usos in the back. They're enjoying what they have done to Sheamus. 
Sammy would say that their mission has been accomplished. It's time for them to leave the arena. Jimmy's is cool with this, but Jay is not. Jay says that the night isn't over because they're waiting for Logan Paul to come here so he can beat up on them. Well, so they as a group could beat up on Logan Paul. Sammy will say, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, but we can't do that because the head of the table, Roman, has given us orders that nobody should touch Logan Paul tonight. So you see Jay look at Sammy and he's like, you know what? You're right. We're not going to do it. But then he bowls up at Sammy and says, you know what? But I'm a hothead. So you don't know what I might do. So now you have the anticipation of, is Jay going to attack Logan Paul tonight when Logan gets here? Or is he going to follow through with Sammy? Only time will tell as the rest of the night goes. Now, after this, we would go to Bray Wyatt, who's backstage, just in the hallway, just walking just side by side. And he will look into the camera and he will talk to the audience. I feel like confessing some things to you guys today. I feel like that. I feel like that can help, right? So here it goes. I confess that I have problems. I know I have problems. I've always had. I've always had problems. You know, it's not hard for people to see. <laughs> but there's a few of them, like anger. Sometimes it can take me to places that I don't want to be in. This past time, it took me to some place that I shouldn't have come back from. I, I really shouldn't. But for whatever reason, I get chances. Chances that most people won't get. And I confess that this time, I, I, I was happy. I was content with just being left alone. I was okay with it being over. I wanted you to stop saying my name. I wanted you to leave me the hell alone. But I confess that I'm really glad you did it. Because I needed you. I needed all of you. You pulled the spears out of my ribs and yanked me up. And you told me what I was supposed to do without even having to tell me. And I'm thankful for that. Because now I can see. I know who you are. I know what you want, I know what you're trying to do, but it won't work. I confess that along this journey, I'm going to do horrible, horrible things, but I will never feel sorry for them. I'm just a servant now. I go where the circle takes me. What Bray is saying in this promo right here is that Bray is, he knows that he has had multiple chances. He's self-aware of this. He knows that he's gotten more chances than anybody else probably would have gotten in his type of situation. But he knows that, well, he's him. So when he got released this time, and he's only been released once, he was actually cool with being gone. He actually wanted people to stop saying his name, but he at least admits this as well. Deep down inside, he wanted people to say his name, and he was glad that they did say his name. So now he's back here. And he knows what the people wants. He's going to give them what they want. He's going to be a villain. He's going to be the devil. He's going to be evil itself. And he's not going to apologize for any of it because you guys brought him back. You guys brought me back to this place. So I'm going to do what I do best. And I'm not going to feel no type of shame or 
care in the world for doing what I have to do. That's what Bray was saying in this thing. You know what? I like it because Bray Wyatt is an evil character. That's all it is. He has all these evil uh, characteristics about him. He has all this evil imagery about him. And people still fall for his stuff that he does every single time. He's able to bring you in and just suck you in and just make you embrace everything that he's doing. And especially right now, he's always had that ability when he came back with the Bray Wyatt character, not the Husky Harris character, but the Bray Wyatt character. He's always had that. So he's able to further along this in this new uh, iteration of Bray Wyatt. So we're going to have to see what happens with Bray later on in the future. On this episode, this was the last time you saw Bray Wyatt technically in person because uh, later in the night, you would see like a video like flash on the screen and it's still his alternate ego popping up on the screen, still with the white mask. And he says some type of stuff. I could not transcribe it, but it seems to me, again, we're playing this double sided situation here. We got the regular Bray Wyatt and then we got this mask uh, caricature of a man. So we got to see what happens uh, later on in the future of SmackDown. After this, we will have Liv Morgan going against Sonya Deville. This match will be ruled a double countout when Liv would start telling Sonya to hit her more, and Sonya will start to get a bizarre look and start trying to run away from Liv, but Liv would follow Sonya and start attacking her. Liv would get Sonya outside of the ring and start beating her up more outside of the ring as the referee would start counting to 10. Once the ref gets to 10, she calls for the bell. After the match, Liv would put Sonya back in the ring and gather a bunch of chairs some from underneath the ring, some from the timekeeper's area. She throws them all into the ring. She happens to put all the chairs into a pile, and then she would hit a superplex off the top turnbuckle, and her and Sonya would fall onto the chairs. Now, Sonya would yell in pain, and you see the anguish on Sonya's face, but on Liv's face, you would see her like with a smile on her face. You could still express pain, but she has a sick smile on her face. So it seems that she is now embracing this newer like side of her, this one that relish in pain. And again, we got to see where this heads with the Liv Morgan character. We're getting away from this bubbly niceness girl that we always have for these years. Now we're getting to this more uh, character that happens to enjoy pain. That's this Liv character that we're getting and We got to see how this goes. After this, it was time for Braun Strowman to come down to the ring and call out MVP and Omos so Omos could see what a real monster looks like. MVP would come out and give credit to Braun for being a big, strong man. Anytime he walks into an arena or into a gym, people will look at him and be amazed by him until he felt the presence of Omos last week. MVP will warn Braun that he needs to stay away from Omos because if he doesn't, Omos will expose Braun as being nothing more than an ordinary, normal man. Braun will throw out the challenge to face Omos at Crown Jewel. MVP would accept. Braun will say that he is more of an action man and he's not for all this talking and tell MVP that since he's out here and Omos isn't, he's ready to do something. MVP will tell Braun that Omos is here and you will see Omos start walking to the ring. Now, once Omos gets in the ring, you see Braun walk up on Omos and Omos is towering over Braun Strowman. So Braun does look like an ordinary man standing next to Omos. And you will see Omos just shove Braun out of the ring. 
And MVP would tell Omos, okay, that's enough. And you would see Omos and MVP start walking up the ramp towards the entrance. Braun would get up and he has a smile on his face because now he has met his match in strength now. So we have the match between Omos and Braun Strowman set up for a crown jewel. This is basically power of the two big men. And this is the second big men match that we're going to get at crown jewel because we're getting Brock and Bobby Lashley. So I hope they have enough stuff to reinforce that ring because that ring's going to take a beating at crown jewel. After this, we have Drew McIntyre having a backstage interview. Drew would talk about him having a like sit down with WWE management earlier this week. And they would talk about how they need to come up with a solution to end this thing that he has with Karrion Cross, And they came up with one. At Crown Jewel, Karrion Cross and Drew McIntyre will fight inside a steel cage. So, that has now been added onto the Crown Jewel uh, card. After this, we go back to the ring and it's now time for another match. The Women's Tag Team Championship matchup. Damage Control with Bailey in their corner going against Shotzi and Raquel Rodriguez. Damage Control would retain their championships by pinfall thanks to a distraction from Bailey. As Raquel and Dakota Kai are outside of the ring, Bailey would get on the ring apron and Shotzi would attack Bailey. Io would then grab Shotzi, hit the air raid crash, and then hit her moonsault for the win. So Damage Control still holds on to the Women's Tag Team Championships. After this, we had Rey Mysterio going against Ludwig Kaiser, who had Imperium in his corner. Rey Mysterio would win this match by pinfall by hitting the 619, then a springboard splash for the win. During the match, when Rey Mysterio was outside of the ring and the ref was busy with Ludwig, you would see Rey pull in Eddie Guerrero, and he would grab a steel chair, throw it towards Imperium. Gunther would swipe at the chair, making a noise. The referee would look to the outside of the ring. You would see Rey Mysterio on the ground holding his face and like cowering, and the ref would make the implication that Gunther and Giovanni had attacked Rey Mysterio. So he would send both men to the back. So this will play up to Rey Mysterio basically getting the win over Ludwig uh, later in the match. Now, we are setting up for Rey Mysterio in the next two weeks to go against Gunther for the kind of Championship. I see that next week it will be Rey Mysterio going against Giovanni Vinci. So then... It will be that Rey Mysterio has toppled all the Imperium, except for Gunther when he gets to Gunther in two weeks for the Intercontinental Championship. Now it's time for the main event segment here. Logan Paul. Logan Paul is here. Logan Paul comes to the ring. Logan Paul will say that he knows the WWE fans doubt him, but he has been doubted his entire life. And look where it's gotten him to be this big, mega, successful uh, superstar. This celebrity superstar, this social media star. Logan will make fun of each member of the bloodline, and he acknowledges that he is the underdog in this upcoming match with Roman Reigns. Logan would ask what happens if he happens to beat Roman. What if he happens to hit Roman with one lucky punch and busts Roman's face and beats him for the Universal Championship? So, as Logan is talking, Jay Uso would appear from the back and attack Logan from behind. Jay would beat up on Logan Paul to the point that Sammy will come down to the ring and get on the ring apron, and Sammy would plead with Jay to leave the ring. And he would constantly plead with Jay, and Jay at one point was looked like he's about to leave, but he turns around to go back and try to beat up Logan some more. But this time, when he turns back to go to Logan, Logan would get up and right hook Jay in the face, knocking out Jay Uso. And Sammy would be on the ring apron with his mouth wide open as Logan Paul fixes himself up, and leaves the ring. So now, 
you know there's going to be some repercussions for this because Jay did not follow the orders of Roman Reigns. And now, since Roman's going to be at SmackDown next week, you know there's going to be some disciplinary actions. And it all depends on what happens with Sammy too because Sammy is supposed to be in charge of Jay Uso because Jay is the hothead and Roman gave Sammy that order. So is Sammy going to face some type of repercussions since he couldn't get Jay under control? We will all have to find out next week on SmackDown. But that is your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now on to AEW Rampage. First match of the night for the AEW Tag Team Championships is the acclaimed with Billy Gunn going against the varsity athletes with Mark Sterling. The condition is, if the acclaimed win, they get back the trademark for scissoring. If they lose, they happen to lose the AEW Tag Team Championships. The acclaimed would retain their championships by pinfall when Bowens would hit the arrival, which is a turnabout spinning slam on Tony Nese, and then Max Caster would hit the mic drop on Nice for the win. After the match, Mark Sterling would get a mic and hold the trademark for scissoring hostage. Billy Guns would grab Mark Sterling, throw him into the ring, grab the trademark, tear it up. You will see both Max and Boeing stomp Mark Sterling in the nuts. And then you will see Billy and uh, Max hold Mark by his legs as Bowens went to the second turnbuckle, jump off, hit a leg drop onto Mark Sterling's nuts. Then Billy and the acclaimed would scissor in the middle of the ring. So the term scissor, scissor ring, and scissor me daddy ass is back with the acclaimed and they can do all the scissoring they want. After this, we will have the FTW championship matchup of Ario Davari with his butler Jeeves K going against Hook. Hook will retain the championship by submission when you lock in the red rum on Davari, and Davari will tap out. After the match, Hook will lock in the red rum on Jeeve K, and that's it. So again, we're still giving Hook some reps and giving him some time to still be on television. What I don't understand is that he should be on television more. Hook was one of their commodities in early 2022 that people just cooked onto, no pun intended, and was like ready to see him on television. And I understand they like to hide him off from time to time, but you need to put Hook more on TV so he can get more TV exposure. Just a little free thought here. After this, you have Layla Gray with Kiara Hogan in her corner going against Willow Nightingale. Willow would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Dr. Bomb for the win. After the match, Tony Schiavone would get in the ring with Willow and let everyone in the attendance know that Willow is officially All Elite. So Willow Nightingale has been signed to the All Elite roster, and they will show the graphic up on the screen. The fans and everybody will clap and stand for that announcement. Again, Willow Nightingale is a lovely wrestler, women's wrestler. Well, screw that women's wrestler crap. She's a lovely wrestler. The fans love her. Every time her music hits and everybody knows it's Willow, everybody gets so excited. Everybody starts cheering for her. I mean, this is AEW's legitimate equivalent of NXT Bailey back in the day of, what, 2014. The only thing they got to do is keep the momentum going for Willow Nightingale, and I guarantee you she'll be literally pushing merchandise for them. That's only if they do it right. So please do not drop the ball on Willow Nightingale AEW. After this, Jade Cargill will come down to the ring with a steel chair. Jade will set the chair up in the middle of the ring and have a mic in her hand. Jade will say that she is going to stay out here until Nyla Rhodes brings her her TBS championship. Jade will start doing a countdown, and once she's at the count of two, Marina Shafir, Vicky Guerrero, and Nyla Rhodes would appear on the screen. Nyla would tell Jade that she is going to be riding around 
Jacksonville, Florida, because she's Miss Jacksonville in Jade's car that she got from a parking lot attendee. Nyla Rose would drive away as Jade sends both Lila Gray and Kiera Hogan after Nyla Rose. Jade would stay in the ring until you start seeing security come down to the ring. Jade would beat up security and then leave the ring. So now it's time for the AEW Rampage main event. A triple threat match for the All-Atlantic Championship is Roosh going against number 10, going against Orange Cassidy. Orange would retain the championship by pinfall when 10 would go for a discus lariat, but Orange would pick him up and look to hit beach break. 10 would reverse out of it and get into a pin, but Orange would reverse that pin and then get him into his own pin for the win. Now, you might ask, where was Roosh during this whole pinning situation? Well, Roosh was knocked out because Orange Cassidy would have hit Roosh with an orange punch earlier before Tin tried to go for the discus lariat, which led to what happened at the end. So, with that being said, that is your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, finally, before I get you guys out of here, I just want to give you my predictions for the NXT Halloween Havoc uh, premium live event, which will be happening tonight if you are listening to this Saturday. Um, to start off, Apollo Crews going against Grayson Waller and spin the wheel, make the deal. I have a feeling it'll probably land on like a blindfold match because, again, their whole story is about one trying to blind the other with Grayson Waller starting at first. Apollo trying to get him back with an eye for an eye. So I can see this being a blindfold matchup. And to me personally, I can see it going to Apollo Crews. Next up, Julius Creed going against Damon Kemp in an ambulance matchup. If Julius loses, Brutus will have to leave NXT, but if Julius wins, Brutus gets a match with Damon. I see Julius winning. I don't see them trying to kick off Brutus off of NXT no time soon, so Julius is winning. This is an easy one to call. Roxanne Perez going against Cora Jade in a weapons wild match. Uh, again, I'm going with Roxanne on this one. I think Roxanne needs to win the match against Cora so they can be tied up 1-1 so they can blow off this uh, big rivalry of friend versus friend, well, friend versus former friend, in some type of big match for NXT. So I'm going with Roxanne. The latter match for the vacant NXT North American Championship, Carmelo Hayes, Oral Mensa, Wesley, Von Wagner, Nathan Frazier. I'm going with Wesley because, again, Wesley has been dealt a bad hand uh, this year, 2022, so I'm going with Wes, and we're still trying to build uh, Wes up to something. I don't think they're going to give Von Wagner this win because he's a big man in a ladder match. I would think that if they wanted to give him the win, they would have given him to him in like a standard, normal one-on-one match. Nathan Frazier, he's been doing good. He just had a match against Axiom, what, two weeks ago, and they had a good best out of three matchup. I don't think they're going to give that championship to Nathan Frazier yet. Carmelo Hayes, it's time for him to move on to the NXT uh, championship. So I see that kind of being Carmelo's next thing. So I'm going with Wesley for this. Mandy Rose going against Alba Fire for the NXT Women's Championship. Uh, I want to go with Alba, but something tells me to just stick with Mandy. So I've got to stay with Mandy because I think they're going to try to continue to have Mandy hold on to the championship until they give her like to lose to like Nikita Lions or something because again Alba Fire she's already had her chance before and she lost so if they have Mandy lose to Alba here I'm just be confused but I'll have to wait and see main event time NXT championship Braun Breaker Ilya Dragunov JD McDonough I want to go with JD because it'll be crazy to see the NXT championship around JD's waist but I gotta go with Braun Breaker 
Braun Breaker's the guy. Braun Breaker's the guy that has been with NXT and been like the like train of NXT for a legit entire year. So I got to go with Braun Breaker here. And then hopefully by the end of the night, we'll see Braun Breaker probably have a stare down with Carmelo or somebody else. But if we're saving Carmelo until like the WrestleMania of NXT time, I'm cool with that. But if we're not going to get Carmelo Hayes going against Braun Breaker at the WrestleMania weekend, we can do it now. We can have Braun Breaker going against Carmelo Hayes. I'll be cool with that. But anyway, that's my NXT uh, Halloween Havoc wrestling predictions. Now, it's time for me to get you guys out of here. My Twitter is at My2Podcast, Instagram, My2CentsPodcastG2, email My2CentsPod at Yahoo.com. And if you feel suicidal, ladies and gentlemen, please call the suicide hotline. I have that in the episode description because you have no idea what you are to somebody else. You have no idea what type of bright light you are to somebody once you walk into a room. You have no idea the type of effect that you have on other people. So please, if you feel down and out, please call the suicide hotline number because I do not want you to feel that you are not worth it. You are, believe me. Okay, I want you guys to have a great Saturday. Have a great weekend. Again, I have an episode tomorrow, Sunday episode as usual. And also, you will be getting the NXT uh, Halloween Havoc uh, review as well. So basically, two episodes in one for one day. So there you go. And again, have a great weekend. Please be uh, cordial to each other. Please don't be a dick. And just uh, please try to be courteous to one another. Now, with that. This has been G2. This has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast. I love you all. I thank you. And Kanye, could you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.